Are you listening to this episode on Himalaya? If so, congratulations, because you're already using the best new podcast app out there. If you're not, you're missing out. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya is designed with you in mind and has a ton of cool features like curated, shareable playlists and collections made just for you. Aww. Along with personalized recommendations to help with content discovery. And the best part is, it's super easy to use! Exclamation point. It's definitely my favorite listening app, and I'm sure it'll be yours, too. Uh, so do yourself a favor, download Himalaya today, and be sure to follow Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries once you're there. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 143 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for what day is this? Friday, June 7th, 2019. My name is Jush Kanyan, and I am a Nigerian prince who wants to send you $2 million. All you have to do is give me your credit card information, and I am here with my co-host, Mike Brahan. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing fine. Uh... How about you? I'm doing all right. Are you doing better than last time? Like, are you adjusting to your new medication better? It sounds like you have more energy right eh, now. It's all a facade. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, the, the medication, it makes you drowsy. Uh, that's uh-huh. one thing that I definitely don't like about it. And for anyone who's, this is your first time ever listening to the podcast, um, started an anti-anxiety medication called Lexapro last, well, it started two weeks ago, but I started taking the full dose last week because um, my brain was just getting too out of control with its ridiculousness. So uh, I think this is like, I don't know, a week and a half of me taking the full dose. And yeah, it just makes you drowsy all the time. And yeah. you just want to take yeah. naps a lot, which sucks. Um, I, I am feeling a little bit more under control um what well, also said it also helps that you're not sick yeah on top of all of that <laughs> yeah so yeah yeah i was sick with some kind of weird might have been a sinus thing no I know what it was happens. i don't know what it is i don't know what it was it was not sinuses um it was some kind of an outbreak of some sort i don't oh, know okay. um but yeah, I, I've, i'm doing just overall better than i was last week um my band uh, Dancing with Ghosts, we opened for that band, She Wants Revenge, um, at, at a local venue here in Jacksonville, yeah. Florida. Um, and we also did that Folio Weekly thing, which is like the, the city kind of like zine, uh-huh. if you will. I might have already talked about this last week. But, yeah, you did. Um, well, <laughs> well, okay, whatever. Because, yeah, didn't we podcast on like Sunday? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, yeah we that's did. right. So it's kind of like we're... So I'm just literally regurgitating shit. Okay. <laughs> and today's, all right. So really, it's only been like five days since I last talked to you. Yeah. So honestly, not not too much exciting stuff has happened well i mean i i got a crazy haul at a, at a thrift store yesterday yeah i saw you retail. posting about that I'm- i went to the retail thrift store which is a local thrift store in vancouver washington and some of the proceeds go to the humane society the local humane society and i i was just blown away by what i found like all kinds of stuff like Tons of Blu-rays and DVDs and box sets, like the complete series of The Shield for like five bucks. 
And I haven't seen the show, but I've heard a lot of good things about it. I mean, for five bucks for seven seasons. Yeah, uh, that's that's worth it, worth a shot. I also picked up In Search Of, the precursor to Unsolved Mysteries. Did you get the, the box? Was it the box set of the entire series? Yeah, it's the entire series on DVD. It doesn't have the Mitch Pileggi version. It just has the uh, Leonard Nimoy version. I think it was the re-release from like 2016 by the same company. It's not the big box set. It's just a uh, slip cover with a couple uh, cases in there. I think that might be the same one that I have. Yeah. Be- I mean... Because there's a fancy one that's like big and, um, you know, looks like kind of, I don't, it's not really a treasure chest, but it opens up kind of like one. Yeah. It has yeah, like individual discs. I, I don't know who would want that much in search of, honestly, because it's. Hey, that was a pretty big show for a lot of people growing up, like if they were grew up in the 70s. Right. So. And for the 70s, like it's a, it's a fantastic show for that time period, but. Yeah, it did not age well at all. Like it's just—I'm not expecting it to. I think I'm gonna have uh, some fun with it, just for you know Leonard Nimoy, and and for some of you know just how dated it is. You know, because just just the first episode is about like voices from beyond, and I didn't watch it all the way through, but it's a Leonard Nimoy's talking about. There's been studies that have shown that plants can can might be able to communicate. So it was just talking about what if plants could communicate? I don't like. <laughs> yeah, there there is there is a shit ton of uh, like synthesize like early synthesizer work in this in the music on there. Yeah, it's it's just it's. I don't know, man. I don't know how Unsolved Mysteries towed the line, but they did it masterfully. And yes. uh, and, so ma- and speaking of that, we actually have a uh, regular podcast this week. Regular in the sense of it, it is a purely Unsolved Mysteries yes. podcast. And there are two cases from the early uh, seasons. So one from season two and one from season four. All right, so like I said, this this episode is a classic un- uncovering and explained mysteries podcast. We're talking about two unsolved mysteries segments. Um, the first one we're going to be talking about is Philip Frazier, the the disappearance of Philip Frazier. Basically, the segment that proves the theory that you probably shouldn't pick up hitchhikers. Yeah, um, you know, I don't know. This guy, we like, grew up in Alaska, so I don't know if there was more of a naivete to him or what. But even that, like, we'll get to, like, what actually happens. And, like, folks, you're going to be really surprised that, like, this guy actually, you know, let this other guy in his car, considering the circumstances. So on June 14th, 1988, 25-year-old Philip Frazier, the son of two physicians, left his home in Anchorage, Alaska to enroll in a pre-med course at Evergreen College in Washington State. Philip had packed everything he owned for the trip, including two handguns. On June 17th, after losing two days to car trouble, Philip crossed the border into Canada. Craig Gates was a corporal with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police at the time of Phillips Crossing. 
Philip did declare that he had two firearms of his own, and at that point, our Canada Customs people seized the firearms from him, as it is illegal for Americans to enter Canada with any kind of firearm. To, to me, it's like, yeah, like, why did he think he could do that? Like, yeah, yeah, that that was he didn't think that through. Like, I'm gonna bring two, I'm gonna bring some guns into uh, your country. That's cool, right? Like, yeah. So anyway, after a one-day delay, Philip Fraser was again on his way. His guns became the property of the Canadian government, which has got. So, what do they do? What do they do once they get the guns? Do they get rid of them? Do they like melt them down? Do they sell them? Do they like give them, send them back to the owner later in the mail? How 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 does that whole whole thing work? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna say that they put keep it in like an evidence room and then like at the end of the month or something they have like an auction of some kind yeah yeah that's the kind of thing that the the police do in the u.s so i know they do that i feel like that's probably what they would do but that's gotta suck though it's like that you know it's like the the gun i don't know how i don't know if guns are like expensive or cheap i've never looked into it some of them are yeah some some of them them are are really expensive uh but you can get them for cheap too yeah i i would be i would be very pissed off if I was Philip. I'd be like, that's bullshit, man. Like, I mean, but at the same time, it's like, anyway, getting, you shouldn't have brought them. You shouldn't be that upset. Right, you yeah. shouldn't have brought them in the first place. <laughs> so the next day, 600 miles South of the border checkpoint of a border checkpoint, uh, a hitchhiker was dropped off at a local cafe South of the border. <laughs> cafe owner gay Frocklidge was working when the hitchhiker stopped in. What a name. I know. Right. The individual that dropped him off didn't come into the cafe, just dropped him off and left. There was something wrong with him, in appearance. It wasn't comfortable. Gay's daughter, Tina, was also working at the cafe. I remember saying to mom, you know, maybe he's escaped from a mental institution because he was so strange. Now, I want to know what the fuck this guy was doing, or how did he look? Because in, in the reenactment, he just looked like a disheveled fat guy, you know? Yeah. He didn't really look like he he looked like he might be a little bit disturbed, but he didn't look like he was someone who escaped from a mental institution. I mean, they I didn't I, do a, they didn't did not do a good job displaying that aspect of of his personality. Like either Canada is just this really utopian society or these people have never been to a Walmart. Like I don't really, <laughs> <laughs> It's like I see this shit all the time where I live and I'm not like keeping an eye on anybody, you know. I'm like, yeah, this is just your average Jacksonville, Florida looking person there, you know, nothing unusual about that. It might be a Florida thing. It's an average, you know, your average uh, Floridian, you know. Yeah, especially average West Side, which is kind of the area of town I live on, like, which is definitely not the best Because I know people talk about people of Walmart and like, and I've seen that website and it's actually pretty funny. But like, I rarely see that kind of stuff at my local Walmart. It just seems like, I don't know, like you don't really see a lot of those individuals over there. It, it does depend on what, what part of town your Walmart's located in. Because like, yeah, I've been to the more affluent Walmarts. So I'm like, oh, there's actually attractive women who shop here. <laughs> Holy shit. Like, it sounds crazy, but like, like, I live on a slightly ghetto part of town and every store I go to is just like... 
just just the frumpiest and the dumpiest and <laughs> i feel like i mean for me it's a great confidence boost because i feel like a fucking supermodel walking in the wall in my walmart you could probably be the best looking uh person in that store oh i guarantee male you male or female I guarantee you i am like whatever <laughs> i mean it, but but with that being said there's like zero competition but um i mean you might have like a stripper shopping in there who's pretty good looking but she's yeah. you know a stripper. She's obviously a stripper yeah. or, or a prostitute. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, but anyway, um, nobody, uh, nobody was in the cafe at the time and gay worried for her daughter's safety. I wouldn't leave her alone in the building with him as there was nobody else there at the time. I said to Tina, well, you go ahead and take care of him and I'll just hang around. Gee, thanks mom. Uh, as I passed the side window, I saw a small black car pull up to the side of the cafe and a young man in the car was searching for his searching his car like he had misplaced something that he needed. The vehicle was Philip Frazier's. Meanwhile, inside the cafe, Gay was re- relieved when the hitchhiker finally finished his meal. He paid for his bill in Canadian money. Gail then watched as the hitchhiker approached Philip's car. The car sat for a few minutes and then he pulled ahead like he had second thoughts. The hitchhiker just ran beside him and pulled the door open and the young man in the car proceeded to let him enter. When I saw this, I was like, dude, what the hell are you doing? Like, Philip Frazier, you are a fool. If, If a hitchhiker runs up alongside your car and forcefully opens your fucking door. You don't let him in. You drive. Stop. Drive. Step on the gas, man. You step on the gas. You drive away. Pedal to the metal, motherfucker. Yeah. You don't let him in. The reenactment actually did a pretty good job of this because, like, Phillip's outside of the cafe, and then they got this other guy outside the cafe, and the guy's like, hey, where are you going? And Phillip's like, I'm going, you know, such and such. And he's like, the other guy's like, Going south, yeah. Can I get a lift? And he's like, uh, I don't think so. Blah, blah. Initially, he was smart. He was like, No, I don't. Th- you know, because he's he's not he's not used to this particular part of Canada. It seems like it. So, uh, or Alaska, right? Is he still in Alaska or is he in Canada? He's in Canada at this point. So he's in Canada. He's not used to this, and he doesn't know his way around here. Doesn't know a lot of the people. So it's like, dude, don't take hitchhikers in in a in a strange place. Like, come on. Yeah, and so like, but common sense. He's even like driving off, you know, and 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 the re- yeah. the reenactment is based off of what this gay frockledge lady saw. That uh-huh. he's like driving off, and the hitchhiker is like walking down the street, and like he stops by the hitchhiker. The hitchhiker's talking to him through the window. He goes to like drive off and the hitchhiker opens the door and then he stops again and then the hitch it's it's the weirdest exchange (laughs) it's almost like it's almost like philip the only thing i could theorize is that philip was going to let him in and then his foot accidentally slipped off the the brake or whatever and the car just went forward he's like oh shit sorry sorry yeah here come on in you know yeah but he opens the door yeah i don't i don't know it's 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 weird it, it, like he forcefully opens the door. It looks like he's jogging alongside the car and then like forcefully opens the door and then like he stops. It's like what are you doing in that instance? Like don't and and if it wasn't him picking him up after that particular incident, he just decided to do it. Well, that's just foolish anyway. Don't do that. Like 
And as you as as you find out, it does not turn out well for him at all. Yeah, so that's usually what happens with these type of uh cases. Like just don't pick up hitchhikers. Like have you ever seen the movie The Hitcher? Like just don't do it. No. <laughs> According to Gay, it was then that Philip drove off with the hitchhiker in his car. The strange thing was that as they left the yard, Tina made some remark about he's going to live live to regret the day he picked this man up. It was like a sixth sense that this man was capable of anything. Eight hours later, in 200 miles south of the cafe, Eddie and Pauline Olson of Kitwanga, Canada, pulled over to help a stranded motorist. Eddie Olson remembered how nervous the man was. I thought he was just scared of being out there late at night, and at that point I just said, well, I'll tow you home and we'll figure it out in the morning. Eddie Olson offered to let him sleep in their basement for the night. Okay, let me just say here. <laughs> That's another thing. <laughs> the Canadian, Canada, you guys are too goddamn trusting. <laughs> You're too fucking polite. Like... This, I just, I don't know, man. I don't know if this would have happened in America. This just confirms the... Uh, stereotype that Canadians are super yeah, friendly. That, that, that stereotype, but it also confirms uh, the fears that a lot of people have about hitchhikers, about people that, you know, you don't know. You don't know anything about them. They can appear to be friendly. They can appear to be like, oh, man, I just need a ride. And then they... You know, end up leaving you for dead and steal your wallet and then... But geez, like, you couldn't have ran into better people than Eddie and Pauline yeah. Olsen. Like, yeah. they towed his his fat ass yeah, back to their free. house. They, <laughs> they let him sleep in their basement. By their guns, by the way. And he even, Eddie's even saying in the interviews, like, yeah, I, uh, we had some couches in the basement. You know, it was right by my guns and they were, yeah. you know, <laughs> like... Are you crazy? You fucking nuts. That would be like the worst night of sleep I would ever have in my life. Knowing that not only is there a stranger in my house, but they're downstairs in the basement by your guns. I I could only imagine how it would be living life with that level of like of naivety that that human beings are that decent that I would, but I, you know, I, 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 I for me, I guess it probably comes from experience for them. They have not had any incidents like that before, so they would they feel that this would just be this more of the same. That's what I'm saying. That's how like that must be awesome to like live to have lived a life that long of not being fucked over, you know. Um, so the next morning, the young man told Eddie that his parents were both doctors in Anchorage and that he was on his way to college in the states to study medicine. Hmm. Kind of like Philip Frazier was exactly doing. According to Eddie, I got to talking to him about his car, and he told me if I was interested, he would sell it to me. But I said the only way I would buy it is if he waited until Monday and we went through customs, and he said that would be too late for him. The Olsons were surprised when the young man pulled out two wallets and began to behave secretly. He gave the Olsons $20 in American money, then left to fix his car. With and that's a key detail because when he was at the cafe and he paid for his meal there, he used Canadian money. Yes. So, so when he's using American money here, it shows even more proof that that's not really his wallet and he, he stole it from Philip. Within an hour, the young man was back on the road headed south. 
The car trouble had turned out to be nothing more than a broken fan belt. Then, just, 20, just 12 hours later, the charred ruins of Phillips' car were found at a car wash in Prince George, British Columbia, 300 miles from the Olsons' home. According to Corporal Gates, the car was completely gutted prior to being set on fire. Nothing was found in the car of any significance. In fact, none of Philip Fraser's belongings have ever been found. The parents were contacted in Alaska, and there was a great deal of investigation done at that point, as Philip was considered a missing person and potentially a homicide victim. So, what do you think uh, this hitchhiker did with his with his personal belongings? Did he burn them as well, or did he just like get rid of them? Did he sell them? Did he try to hawk them for money? Well, I tried to hawk them for seemed- money. Yeah, because it seems like he has a DC had a decent amount of uh, stuff there, like a computer and you know other things like that. Yeah, and if this guy was quote unquote crazy, you know, escaping from a mental institution, I don't know if he would have the. Uh... I don't know if he escaped from a mental institution. I just think he was a hitchhiker or a homeless guy who was, you know, just. I think, nuts. Yeah, I think he. I think I don't know if he was even nuts. I think he was quite calculated in what he did. Yeah, he could have just been straight up uh, manipulative, like sociopath. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I around. think it's more like that, like manipulative sociopath, because he didn't kill the Olsons. You know, no, he didn't. He could. Yeah. He could have easily done that, but it's like he already got the means to his end. This. I will say the uh, actor they got to play this guy was a good choice. Yeah, yeah. And so was the actor, especially the actor who played Philip. Like they, he looked almost exactly like Philip. Yeah, he did. Like the real Philip. So, um, Philip's father, Doctor. First of all, to or second of all, or whatever. Both of Philip's parents were fucking doctors. They were both MDs. Like yeah. I thought that was crazy. Like talk about being from like a prestigious. And he was gonna be an MD. Yeah. Talk about being from a prestigious family line of uh, you know high expectations. Um, so Doctor Robert Fraser, uh, his father was uh, not very hopeful after hearing the news. I was sure that there had been foul play, but I kept hoping, thinking of all sorts of alternatives, like maybe he decided he wanted to ditch his car and be on his own. Intellectually, I knew that was wrong because he really loved his car. Six weeks later, Dr. Frazier was informed that his son's body had been found 70 miles from the Olsen's home. I felt angry and bitter. I wondered what kind of person would destroy someone who was so idealistic and so full of life. Someone who doesn't care. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, they they just they don't care about others they don't care about their life they just uh, care about one thing which is getting what they want what he wanted was money and his car and everything in it what really happened along that lovely stretch of canadian highway i love that i know <laughs> lovely he uses that and 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 it's it's kind of like how robert stack says like the ash road in in the beginning of this segment, I almost thought it said like you know ash like ash strip or something. It was like an ass strip, like the the you know, the long ass. Strip <laughs> oh yeah, of road. yeah, the long ass <laughs> strip of road. <laughs> <laughs> this this motherfucker was long, long um, ass strip of road. The writing got really lazy in that moment. <laughs> um, but great shots of the Canadian wilderness in this in this segment. The rural if they shot it actually in Canada. Yeah. They usually do though. Like they usually they usually do shoot on location. Well, I, I shouldn't say usually. Some most I don't know. Like 50-50 I think. They whenever we t- This is season 4 though, so they had more of a budget to work with. So Yeah, they Kevin O'Brien, the one, the cinematographer guy that we talked to for Unsolved Mysteries at one time. He he said that 
you know, they, they tried whenever they could to actually shoot on location. The director of photography, yeah. Yeah, whatever. Um, the Royal Canadian <laughs> Mounted Police believed that the mysterious hitchhiker learned everything he could about Philip and then killed him. Yep. Corporal Gates believed the hitchhiker assumed Philip's identity, stole his possessions, and finally attempted to destroy the car. In my mind, he most definitely is a dangerous person. He's taken one life, he has the capability of taking more, and I would consider him very dangerous. The authorities believe that the hitchhiker is familiar with Toronto and Seattle and may be using Philip's name, Philip Eanes Frazier. Among the items never recovered were Philip's birth certificate, visa, passport, and checkbook. Jeez. Yeah. And they show the sketches. Like, one of them, he looks like a fucking man baby. Yeah. Like, literally. He He does look like a man baby. He's got this, this very, like, just baby chubby cheeks yeah yeah he's got this very baby like face just this round no face kind of facial hair with it but the coup de gras is the is the fucking mushroom head looking bowl haircut well there's that one but there the uh, the first one i thought looked more like uh a baby but then the second one he looks like a monk or something like a franciscan monk because he's got the he's got the bowl cut that a lot of those Franciscan monks had. Well, that's what I'm back saying. Back in the 1700s. Yeah. Well, yeah, that 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 monk haircut is like he's yeah yeah. In the first one, he's almost got like the emo swoop going on with the hair. <laughs> baby emo. Yeah, baby emo. <laughs> An emo baby over there, and then the second one, he's looking like a you know he's got the bowl cut, looking like uh, was it uh, what Mo? <laughs> yeah, Mo from the Three Stooges. And then the third one, though, is the most accurate. How do you know? You don't know what he looks like. Well, at least compared to what the, what the actor they use for the reenactment. Oh. Uh, one thing... The case is apparently still unsolved. Since the case first aired, Philip's father, Dr. Robert Fraser, died on June 5th, 2014. Recently, there's been some speculation that Philip was the victim of a Canadian serial killer named Michael McGray. McGray murdered several hitchhikers around the time of Philip's death. He also matches the description of Philip's suspected killer. However, he has not been conclusively linked to this case, which remains unsolved. One thing I liked about the uh, description Robert Stack was talking about or whatever, uh, one of the descriptors that Robert Stack used was a flabby belly. Yeah, yeah, a flabby belly that hangs over his waist. Like hearing Robert Stack say flabby belly was, uh, (laughs) I almost felt like he was judging me for a second because I was eating chocolate as I was watching these segments. (laughs) I could just imagine Robert Stack looking like looking at me, you know, looking at the camera. He's like just looking at my screen. He just pauses. He pauses for a second, stares at the camera and then stares straight at you while you're eating your chocolate and says flabby belly. (laughs) (laughs) You also have a flabby belly. (laughs) <laughs> sorry robert i we can't all do the those fucking 1920s calisthenics that i'm sure you do i'm sure he's got like a medicine ball and shit in his workout room i'm sure he does all that up down up down Remember, up down. he was a swimmer i think yeah he he had he had that uh i'm sure he like wore his pants like way above his belly button like just that old man style of like dress that was popular in like the 20s which was funny because back in the 20s it was like the young man fashion that's like me but like i don't know was he really that old though that he was in young in his 20s in the in the 20s everybody's yeah. young in their 20s mike 
Um, no, in the 20s. Uh, I know. I don't think. I, I don't. I don't know. That's, a, that's actually a good question. He might have been Robert Stack birthday. Let's see. Robert Stack birthday. Come on, man. Come on. Okay. Oh, uh, January thirteenth, nineteen nineteen. Yeah. So no, he would have been a thirties, thirties and forties is probably closer to. Okay. When I, he was a, when he was young, like when he's a teenager or something. That's still insane, though. That's like so, he was old when he did the show. He was an older man. Oh yeah, because I remember um, on the dedication that John Cosgrove did on the Ultimate Collection box set, he talked about how Stack was in some anti-Nazi uh, movie and and he became blacklisted in Germany. Like Hitler actually was like, "Nine, I do not want him in our country." So yeah, I remember that now. I'd for- what does that have to do with Oh, I guess with you remembering how old yeah. he is. Okay. Yeah. Now I got Duh. it. He, he, apparently, <laughs> he was the same height as me. He was 5'11". Yeah. So, uh, I don't have anything else to say about the Philip Fraser segment, except it was it was a good one. It's a good segment. Uh, good use of location. Um, good performances by the reenactors. Uh, I think like I think it was like Gay and her daughter like actually did act and, you know, the typical kind of like they don't know how to act, so it's kind of stilted, but it's endearing, despite you know the the bad acting, uh, and uh, some nice uh, cinematography, and it's one of those things where yeah, it just goes to show you folks don't pick up hitchhikers, just don't do it. Yeah, yeah. Relax, don't do it. Oh my god. <laughs> Damn, Robert Stack's wife, Rosemary, was pretty damn hot. Yeah. Good for him. (laughs) This is just all over the place. I I know. (laughs) I'm hoping people are liking this. Are you liking this out there? Is anybody liking this? Josh's random tangents about Robert Stack. Uh, Anyway. Yeah, do you have anything else to say about that case? Um, That doesn't have to relate to Robert Stack? Flabby belly... (laughs) Um, yeah, I just, I, you know, again, I couldn't get over the, uh, Eddie Olson guy letting him not only sleep in his basement, but by literally by his guns. Um, yeah, no, I think that's it. All right. So the second segment we're going to discuss and the last one for this podcast is one that it's been a long time coming. I personally have been wanting to cover this particular case and this segment since very early on in the podcast, but for years, there was nothing, there was like really barely anything in terms of information. Like on the Wikia page, like it was super short. And being the lazy guy that I am, I gotta admit it, I didn't wanna watch the segment and then have to write like every, down every single thing. So I waited. And waited until now when uh, I have a Wikia page, which is actually fairly lengthy, that uh, I could finally look at. So it was fairly recently, actually, a couple, uh, like a few days ago, uh, somebody updated it. Yeah. So you know- to whoever that person is, thank you. Yeah, you know what's funny is you talked about you didn't want to sit there 
and type out everything in the segment so we could you talk did about that it. Yeah, back in the, back in the early yeah. days of this podcast, like probably at least the first like 30 to 40 episodes, that's exactly how I did uh did my segments. I did it one I did I did one of them if I remember correctly. It was literally Maybe the two. biggest fucking pain in the ass. I don't yes. know why I I don't know why I did it like that. I just I I just thought that if I'm going to do I think I even told you. I was like you could just like Write down like things that you you thought were interesting or thought were worth you know discussing. You know, dude, I was a pure. I was a like, purist. He was doing a transcript. Yeah, he was doing a transcript. I was a purist at the time. I was like, nah, man, like it's not real unless I get like every. I don't know why I thought that that Did, was was the unsolved dot com stuff available at that point. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think the. I don't. I don't know if the wiki was or if we didn't know about it or whatever. But good lord, man, that was like. That I remember, like, the biggest thing that sucked about, like, writing transcripts for the show was whenever they had Robert Stack talk because they had writers that actually, like, wrote yeah. elegant, you know, wor uh -huh. wording for him and all. So, like, typing that out, and, and he spoke kind of quickly if you're mm -hmm. typing it out. Yeah. The ones that were easy were when they'd interview people because just your average Joe Schmo on a camera would just be, they talk a lot slower and they use more simple language. So I'd be like, oh, thank God they're interviewing somebody. And it was like easy from unless it was an official of some kind, because so my guess is you when you were doing those early episodes, like when you were writing those, like you viewed those episodes maybe a little bit differently because you're just like, uh, yeah, well, because I, I was constantly having to pause and rewind. Oh, yeah. I missed that. Yeah, that 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 sucked. I know what that's like. It, it did suck. I remember doing that for I think the voodoo one or something with the voodoo poisoning or something. I remember doing that yeah. for that one. So if you guys want to hear like some some uh, hard work, <laughs> go listen <laughs> to those early episodes and, and anytime I've done a segment I want to say it's at least until episode 30 I did it like that. Um, I, w I was actually like I hand typed out like everything. So yeah. Anyway as you were Mike. <laughs> so this is the signal mountain blah, blah, blah. the signal mountain murders case it's a tongue twister apparently for me uh and this was featured on the second season of unsolved mysteries and uh the philip fraser segment for those of you who might uh, be curious is featured on the fourth season so this was like right in the middle of that prime cut unsolved mysteries and I personally find this to be one of the better, one of the best segments of the, of the season for me personally, in terms of atmosphere, for sure. Um, you got the late night dark uh, shots in the woods with a shadowy figure, you know, blasting people with a shotgun. You got the gritty realism with the reenactments. You, you got like little bits of blood here and there. Um it's a, uh, and it, it is a, it's a really brutal murder, to be honest. These are really brutal murders, and even the uh, police uh, officer, I think the detective who was investigating this case, he said like this is one of the most brutal crimes I've ever seen. Senseless. The the amount of senselessness yeah. to it is what's yeah. even more crazy. And it's really shocking. Like I I, I don't know because like, it doesn't seem like there's a motive. It's just. It's one of those things like you don't know what the motive is. It just seems like somebody just flipped out and just shot people with a shotgun. 
I would say I'd say it being out in the country like that, someone felt like their their territory was being invaded. Because a lot of those people, but that's stupid. That's a stupid reason to gun down people to death with a shotgun well, and, and actually hunt them down. Welcome to the, there was one of them they actually hunted down like a dog. Welcome to the mind of a redneck. This is my land out here in the country. You're inviting it. I'm gonna shoot you. You dude, fucking out here, out here where I live, these motherfuckers love their guns more than life itself. Like they have such a raging hard on for the moment that they are able to shoot someone on their property. Uh-huh. Like everyone I I like all the people I grew up with, they talk about it, oh, right? They talk they're about all like, "Oh, if somebody comes on my property, oh. I'm gonna blow them away." Oh yeah. yeah, they're like, they can't. My cousin, good lord, I know I bring him up a lot on this podcast whenever it comes to bad shit, but like, he he was like, just I'd go over to his house and like drink with him, and he he'd just have his fucking handgun on the fucking uh, banister, just drinking beer, and he'd like be he'd like cock it and he'd like point it at shit in the woods. He's like. I can't wait for someone to try to come in here and blah, blah. So it's like, that's like the mentality, you know, like, well, I remember when my dad, uh, he was living in, well, yeah, he was still, still living in his place in Michigan. And, uh, you know, he was kind of a little bit paranoid and was talking about, you know, like they heard some noise like one night and they got all freaked out. I'm like, really? You're in the middle of fucking nowhere in Michigan. I, I think we're okay. It's probably a fucking animal or something. Like, you're going to break out your shotgun and be like, oh, yeah, I'm ready. I mean, like, literally, <laughs> it's, but they move out there because of fear in the first place, I feel like. I mean, I think some, some not every, all of them. Some people legitimately just like being out. I mean, we, you know, in Oklahoma City, I mean, we lived, lived in the ghetto. So, yeah, that, that was like, there was actual gang violence and stuff that happened in that area. And then when the one of the places that lived in Portland, it, there was also a lot of stuff going on there. It was kind of a ghetto area of downtown Portland and in Oregon. And I, I will never forget this one night. It was like 4th of July or something or around that. And like we lived in an, in, in an apartment that was like on an upper, uh, the upper level. And it was like a balcony. It's so like that my, my stepmom she heard like what she thought were gunshots, but it was like Fourth of July or getting close to that, like the day before. So really, all it was was fireworks. But she thought there were gunshots, so it was like this really dramatic, over dramatic moment where it's like, "Get down!" Oh my god, <laughs> get down! <laughs> get down! Yeah, the funny thing about my cousin and his whole like, I can't wait to kill or shoot someone, or whatever, is like he is such a sensitive motherfucker. Like, any time there was any funeral in the family, even for, like, a second cousin or someone that I didn't even know, I'd just be at the funeral chilling. He'd be over there fucking crying like a baby. But maybe he knew that person. No, he didn't. No, did. he didn't. Oh, I, okay. I knew for a fact he didn't. We both okay. knew that person the sa- the equal amount, and I was over there. That is interesting. Yeah, and, and yet he's Mr. I'm going to blow their head off if he comes, you know, this, that, and the other. It's like, bitch, shut up. It's like that whole tough guy thing. It's like no, you- it'll go, it'll go away as soon as you're in that situation. For a lot of people, it, you know that that happens, and then you're, just, you're you're flustered, and then you're just like, oh my god, like this is actually happening. Yeah, and that's that's it's why not, it's that's why all that like that that whole it's not a fantasy. That whole like <laughs> it's real life <laughs> alpha male posturing shit. Just I'm just like, you know, I look. I at- mean, there's some people who would like legitimately take care of business. I mean, I. I 
have no doubt that if Keanu Reeves is put in a situation like that, <laughs> he could fucking take care of it. Because he has all the training. Like this in those John Wick films, folks, Keanu Reeves is not acting like that that he actually can do all of that. <laughs> I mean, he can do all of that gunplay. He can do all of that martial arts. Like he's one bad motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing is though, like the whole like gun thing is like okay you defended your property and all that and that you know and that's that and that's fine but now you have to live with the fact that you killed somebody yeah but if the thing is with if it's somebody who's going to kill me or kill my family that's that's something i can live with and and everyone always says that but it's like it's like how likely is it that the person who is uh trying to break in whatever is a going to even still break into the house knowing that there's people there and continue to do it and then b is like you know once you've alerted them to your presence they're still like trying to kick the door and and, and they're just like stark raving mad like i'm still it's like that shit happens in the movies but I, it, it happens in real life too. I feel like where, it, it, you know robbers break in and they start stealing stuff. You start to confront them. They pull out their gun. You know? I feel like that doesn't happen nearly as much as people like to I believe. Know. I mean, I don't have any like data on that. Yeah, it's exactly. just like my personal opinion. Exactly. Yeah, but well, neither do you. Like you don't eat. Well, you don't well, either. I, well, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure like a, a, a majority of these calls and stuff like that for like robbery involved armed robbery of some sort. Well, I could see like on the street and shit, but like when it comes to your house, breaking in the house, they break in the house. Most of the time, they probably are armed. If they're not, they have some other form of weapon. Yeah, but that's I feel like if the per like I feel like the main thing is like they don't want they don't want to deal or confront people. So if you're not home, they you know if if you leave the th well, yeah, but those aren't really like the ones that you have to ever worry about that sort of situation because like you're not there. So that that you know, I don't know. I just feel a lot I of feel breaking like and entering media like calls involve like actual like armed you know individuals. I feel like American media sensationalizes a lot of this shit and makes it seem like it's a lot more extreme and prevalent than it actually is. I, I would probably uh, look up the stats. If you can, Mike, when have we ever looked up a fucking <laughs> stat for any claim that we make on this podcast? Why would I start getting factual now after a long, rich history of ignorance? All right, guys, it's time once again that we have to unfortunately interrupt the podcast for some advertisement because it keeps the lights on in the uh, in the the collective podcast house that me and Mike live in. It's like uh, that MTV show, The Real World, where what happens when eight podcasters live together? Uh, anyway, shut up and do the ad. Okay, fine. A uh, little word from Better Help. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? If so, Better Help Online Counseling is there for you. Better Help offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping trauma, anger, family conflicts, self-esteem, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. Anything you share is confidential and it's so convenient. You can now get help at your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions plus chat and text with your therapist. 
If you're not happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time at no additional charge. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. And for Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries listeners, get 10% off your first month with discount code UUM, as in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash UUM. Simply fill out a questionnaire and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash UUM. Now, this is not a crisis line. They do have over 4,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states. It's available worldwide. There are four communication modes, text, chat, phone, and video. You can start communicating in under 24 hours, secure, convenient, professional, affordable, and you're getting 10% off with the promo code UUM. All right, now back to the show. Uh, Okay. So, hope you enjoyed that tangent. Sorry. (laughs) It's, it, 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 uh, it relates. (laughs) Loosely. Loosely. But yeah. So let's actually get to the case. So on the evening of July 9th, 1988, 22 year old airman first class Kenneth Griffith, his 23 year old friend Sergeant Earl Smock, and his 49 year old father in law Richard Mason planned to ride their ATVs on the trails around Signal Mountain near Chattanooga, Tennessee. Now, in the narration, uh, Robert Stack felt like, or his writers felt like he had to clarify that. And had to have him say on their ATVs, all-terrain vehicles. <laughs> it's like, I know what an ATV is. Who doesn't know what an ATV is? I don't know. Maybe it was a newer thing at that time. Like, I feel like um, I feel like they do the same with, like, he was on his personal computer. <laughs> like, <laughs> surfing the World Wide Web, also known as the Internet. <laughs> Well, I mean, Robert Stack did a a sponsor for Web TV, so. (laughs) So, they were planning to ride their ATVs on the trails around Signal Mountain near Chattanooga, Tennessee. Richard's wife, Martha, recalled the three were eager to head out, as they still had a few hours of daylight left. And uh, she's definitely from around there. She's got that thick accent. And, uh, yeah, it seems like there's a lot of, like, they can't wait, you know, like how your cousin can't wait to like shoot somebody, you know, they're like, they can't wait to get out on their ATVs and go on the trail. So at 6 p.m., the three men left the Mason home on their ATVs. By the next morning, they had not returned. Their families were concerned. All three men were experienced ATV riders, and two of them had rode in the Tennessee backwoods many times before. Fearing foul play, the friends and relatives began searching. A few hours later, a local resident stopped to check a bad tire in Robert's Camp Road, five miles from the Mason home. As he looked into a trash dump at the bottom of a nearby bluff, which apparently exists in that area, they just dumped their trash yeah. in the wilderness. Yeah, I've seen that out. I, my parents live uh, out, or my mom, uh, lives out in the country or whatever, and, and yeah, people unfortunately do do that shit. It's pretty lame, to be honest. Smokey the Bear and many other, uh, the, yeah. the, the crying Native American, none of them would approve <laughs> of this. Smokey the Bear needs to be more ghetto or like more intense with his, you know, like, <laughs> it'd be more like an actual bear when it comes to trying to get people to stop doing that kind hey, of shit. Hey, motherfucker, <laughs> put that cigarette butt out and make sure it's out, bitch. <laughs> so... 
they uh, he uh, noticed that there were three ATVs covered with with blood in the bottom of uh, that trash dump. And yeah, that's that's pretty suspicious. Definitely worth calling calling the cops over that. Investigators arrived at the scene and connected the discovery to the three missing men. And this segment does a did a really good job, like showing the this just how dirty and just nasty this whole type of uh, thing is. Like they were just you know just this trash dump, and this the ATVs piled piled up in there. And also, it just felt like maybe like the way the scene was shot, it just it just felt like this whole segment there was kind of like like something was done with the lens to make it look like it was like dirtier or something. I felt I felt it like kinda, kinda I felt like, like both this segment and the last one had like a fogginess to it. Yeah, yeah. And that, that I feel like that's kind of reminiscent of old unsolved mysteries, yes. which which I, I I quite like honestly. Yeah, it it adds a lot to the atmosphere. And the mysteriousness. So the the investigators arrived at the scene that is connected the discovery to the, to the three missing men. As they retrieved the ATVs, a Signal Mountain resident approached them and said that he had heard gunshots the night before. He said that he heard the shots near an area known as the Gate. I love how foreboding and like kind of scary that is. It's like it's just just the Gate. <laughs> The next morning, the investigators searched the area where the shots had been fired. They found ATV tire tracks on the ground. Nothing seemed out of ordinary until they approached the gate, an area posted with no trespassing signs. One of the investigators noticed that a green fly landed on his hand. These type of insects are normally attracted to decaying flesh. A short dist- distance away, just off the road, they discovered a spot of blood on a fallen branch. Nearby, they found what appeared to be drag marks on the ground. Then, they found a pool of blood which had been covered by some leaves. I love how, like, when people, like, commit these crimes in the woods, they think, oh, I'm just going to cover it up with leaves. (laughs) That's enough. (laughs) Sometimes it is. Like, if if the crime scene isn't found in time, then it just... uh, Decomposing. I think that's what they're anticipating. They're like, you know, oh, they're never, you know, the cops are never going to like walk far into the woods and find it. But why wouldn't they? (laughs) I think people. If they uh, disappeared in the woods, why wouldn't the cops go to the woods? (laughs) Well, I think people don't like, like these, like the murderer guy, like probably didn't anticipate like the whole green fly shit. You know, as soon as the green fly landed on the detective's arm, he well, yeah, exactly. Like he knew he, they don't think about those kind of things because they're not really that smart. Yeah, they're not smart criminals. But now, thanks to shows like Unsolved Mysteries, they totally will know to look out for that kind of stuff now. Yeah, maybe. But I, if I, they I still actually watch the show. I still think the show did more good than. Well, it did. So did shows like Forensic Files. So, a pocket knife belonging to Kenneth was also found on the ground nearby. Investigators were certain that the area near the gate was the crime scene. Brain tissue and bone fragments were found at the scene. They were certain that the three men had been killed. However, no bodies were found there. Two days later, though, at a dump site 11 miles from the crime scene, the victims' bodies were discovered. Each of them had been killed by shotgun blasts. And the bodies were actually discovered near a road called Suck Creek. That sucks. No pun intended. Like, that really does. Like, that. that's just, I mean, 
What are the chances of that? Like, a really sucky situation occurs, like, right near this Suck Creek Road. Right by, um, Suck Creek, which is located right by Unfortunate Circumstance Lane. <laughs> so... The investigators tried to make sense of the evidence, which is scattered over a large area. The murder site was three miles north of the Mason home. The ATVs were discovered several miles southeast by Roberts Mill Road. The bodies were dumped by Suck Creek Road, 11 miles from the crime scene. also want to know, why was it called Suck Creek in the first place? Who comes who comes up with the name for a road? And like, yeah, I'm going to call it Suck Creek. This creek sucks. Yeah, I, may, the, the, I don't know. The guy probably got a BJ out there or something. Uh, <laughs> I like this creek. I got a blowjob by it. I'm going to call it <laughs> Suck Creek. So another thing I really like about this segment is like the vintage old Unsolved Mysteries map that they show. Oh, uh, yeah. The computer uh, generated, the, the old yeah. 1980s IBM computer generated yeah. graphic for their map. I love that shit, and uh, it really did, that those really take you back when you want when you watch older episodes of Unsolved Mysteries. And uh, this segment also has the just excellent music too. That a lot of the uh, episodes of the series had at this point in time. So, based on the physical evidence, investigators have reconstructed the crime. It is believed that the three men were riding on the dirt roads when they were confronted by the killer at the gate. Uh, and the reenactment for this was really well done, I thought. Well shot, used a, used a location well, uh, some really great uh, night shots. Kenneth was believed to have been shot first. He was shot in the left side of the head. Richard was killed next. He was shot once in the chest. Earl was killed last. He was shot in the right shoulder and attempted to get away. But, however, the killer caught up with him and shot him through the heart. And that's the part of the reenactment that really sticks with me is this guy is just stumbling through the woods and you actually see like blood on it on his shoes. And then this mysterious tall figure with a shotgun just shoots him. I want to know how they figured out like what order each person was shot in. Like, how did they know who was shot first, second and third? They said the, the uh, that's interesting. Um, the investigators probably had something that they had to look at uh maybe maybe rate of uh decomposition or something or something like that or some something involving maybe the wounds and how they looked uh it's i don't i don't, I don't know for sure but they, they said they it, it's one of those things that they believed that's what happened so it could have easily happened in a different order however the killer but after the murders, it is believed that the killer carefully covered up the crime scene and disposed of the other evidence, possibly with the help of an accomplice. They believe that the killer disposed of the ATVs, returned to the crime scene, retrieved the bodies, and dumped them as well. Investigators believe that the killer, or killers, wanted the bodies to be found first in order to prevent the actual crime scene from ever being discovered. It is believed that if the bodies were found on Monday instead of on Wednesday, the crime scene at the gate would have never been found. Investigators are convinced that the killer is a local resident. The residents of Signal Mountain fear that the killer is part of their small community. As a result, they are reluctant to come forward with information about the case. 
And going back on the whole why the cops felt that it went in a certain order, I think they probably felt that the guy who was shot twice was killed last because, you know, he tried to escape. The uh, There were eyewitnesses that told police that he saw two men in a pickup truck on Roberts Mill Road the same night the victims disappeared. In the back of the truck, he saw three ATVs. At the same time the pickup was spotted, another eyewitness saw a woman frantically trying to stop traffic near Roberts Mill Road. She told the witnesses, she told the witness that an accident was blocking the road. She was driving a light-colored Chevrolet. The sighting occurred a quarter of a mile from the bluff where the ATVs were discovered. Yeah, uh, the, the the way that these scenes were shot was, I thought it was pretty creepy because it had that foggy lens and that it was at night and it just had this sort of surreal quality to it, uh, nightmarish in some ways. Uh, it's one of those things where it probably didn't seem like much when the eyewitness initially saw it, but once they realized the connotations of what that was, like that probably sent a, a chill down their spine. I know it would for me because I would have been like, oh my God, like I literally saw them dispose of those ATVs. So the actually this case was solved. Uh, it was featured on a January third episode of Unsolved Mysteries in season two. Uh, it was also featured on an episode of City Confidential. On April fifteenth, nineteen ninety seven, fifty year old Frank Castile was arrested and charged with three counts of first degree murder. He had been considered a suspect from the beginning of the investigation, as he had owned the land where the murders had taken place. It is believed that the men went to a swimming swimming hole known as the Blue Hole. Oh my god. The Blue Hole. On the edge of his property when he confronted them and killed them. Really? About that? You don't go to the Blue Hole. Only I get to go in the Blue Hole. You don't get to go to the Blue Hole and, and now we gonna go to the Brown Hole. So investigators were aided in their case by new fiber evidence and several additional witnesses. Some of the witnesses came forward as a result of unsolved mysteries. One tipster was the female driver of the Chevrolet. She was not involved in the murders. However, she stated that she tried to direct traffic because her boyfriend's car had broken down. She said that she did not initially come forward because he had spent time in prison and she did not want him to be falsely connected to the murders. Another tipster led them to Marie Hill was having an affair with Castile. She received anonymous letters from his wife stating that he was responsible for the murders. He later took one of the letters from her and burned it, claiming that it had harmful information about him. She later agreed to have her house bugged in an attempt to get a confession from Castile. However, during their meeting, his wife burst into Marie's home and confronted them both. She noted that she had helped Castile with something on the mountain. However, they did not directly confess to the murders. Castile claimed that he and his wife were at a campsite on his property on the night of the murders. The campsite was in close proximity to the gate, and several witnesses reported hearing gunshots from his property that night. Witnesses also saw him driving his Jeep Scrambler that night. What a name. Like, what were they thinking? The Jeep Scrambler? <laughs> a Jeep matching in this description was seen later that night with ATVs in the back, and throughout the night, the Jeep was seen multiple times near the sites where the ATVs and the bodies were later found. 
Early the next morning, a witness saw a woman washing blood out of the back of a Jeep at a local car wash. What I don't get is, like, why would the wife go along with this kind of shit? I don't understand that. Yeah, uh, I, yeah I, I, I was thinking that myself when I was watching it, like, when they had when she had the road blocked off and she was saying there was an accident. But that was actually a different person. Oh, okay. But why would the wife go along with like washing the blood out, moving the bodies? You know, it's kind of like you have everything to lose here. <laughs> I mean, seriously. So early the next woman, uh, next next morning, woman. Early the next morning, a witness saw who saw a woman uh, washing blood out of the back of a Jeep at a local car wash. Like, really? At a car wash? <laughs> That's the most public thing place you could possibly wash blood out. Really think people are going to see you do that? Maybe they thought, like, oh, they, they went hunting or something. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. She told him that the blood was from a pig that she had taken to a slaughterhouse. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. However, the witness was suspicious because slaughterhouses were normally closed on Sundays. Whoops! <laughs> <laughs> Plot hole! <laughs> he wrote down the license plate of the Jeep. It belonged to Castile. Later that day, a witness, coincidentally Kenneth's brother, was given a ride by Castile in his Jeep. He noticed that the back of the Jeep was wet, which is odd since it had not rained recently. That's horrible. That Kenneth's brother actually took a ride in the Jeep. Yeah, that his brother's body was in. When investigators searched Castile's campsite a few days after the murders, a burnt blue tarp was found in the fire pit. A witness later testified that he had seen Castile with a tarp in the back of his Jeep on the day of the murders. It was believed the tarp was used to help cover and transport the bodies. A shotgun was seized from him soon afterwards. It was the same type of weapon that was used to kill the victims. However, investigators are not able to directly match it to the bullets used in the murders. Many of the witnesses that came forward testified that they had been threatened by Castile after he found them on his property near the gate and the blue hole. It was also discovered that he had kept a logbook of his encounters with trespassers, usually making them sign the book before letting them go. In the book, he also wrote down most of the trespassers' names, telephone numbers, and license plate numbers. Wow. A total of 18 witnesses testified at Castile's trial, describing their encounters with him while on his property. In most cases, he threatened them while wielding a shotgun. In some cases, he pointed the shotgun at the heads of the witnesses. Two witnesses testified that on the day of the murders, they were headed to the blue hole when he confronted them with a shotgun. If it's a really popular thing, then, like, charge or something. Like, fucking, you know, all right. Give me a couple bucks. Like, what? Yeah, see, that's... What's your fucking problem, man? That's what man? I'm saying, man. Like, I felt, I felt like it... Like I said at the beginning of talking about this segment, like, I, it was... Those people who live deep in the woods, they're, they're fucking, that's how they are with this, that shit a lot of times. They're very territorial. Like, this is my land, and I'm going to fucking shoot you if you trespass. Like, shit's scary. Yeah, apparently. So, a few weeks before the murders, Castile had told three men to get off my property or I'll shoot you. A witness also testified that she had asked him about dealing with trespassers, and he stated that he would kill if he had to. Another witness testified that if he fired above the head of his friend while they were trespassing, and said that if the trespassing didn't stop, he would have to start shooting people. But if I remember correctly, wasn't the blue hole near his property? Like, it wasn't actually on his property. It was near his property. It's on the edge of his property. 
So is that really his property then? I'm sure he, you know, it's like asking some. It's it's like that fucking guy on uh, the forty that was the forty eight hours or what was the one that uh, we, yeah, we talked the, uh, about to the two neighbors on the hill thing? Yeah, yeah. Dateline. I, I want to say Dateline NBC. Yeah, yeah. That's that little abutment. It's like it's the same sort of thing apparently. Just a senseless murder based around you know just an equally senseless thing. Really, it's just doesn't make any sense like we would put you would murder somebody over that it's on the edge of your property <laughs> it's it's not on your property so yet another witness testified that one of the trespass trespassers castillo was annoyed by was mason uh the last name of one of his victims uh he told another witness that he was spe specifically annoyed by atv writers and may have to shoot one of them if if, if i have to in May of 1998, Castillo was convicted of the murders and sentenced to life in prison. He was later given a new trial after it was determined that some of the evidence should not have been admitted. However, he was once again convicted at the second trial in 2003. He died in prison on May 25th, 2019. He was 71. Good. One less fucking dumb redneck out there with their fucking guns. I'll shoot you. I'll fucking shoot you if you get on my property. Good. Rest, yeah. rest in peace, asshole. So, uh, yeah, that's the Signal Mountain Murders case. Uh, thankfully, it was solved. Yeah, Mike's literally been wanting to talk about that one for a long time. I think it's a really good case. And as you can see by the extra bits that the Wikia uh, put in there about the uh, court case and everything and a little more details. And it seemed like Unsolved Mysteries was really crucial in his conviction, so... Awesome. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, well, I'm getting hungry and cranky. So <laughs> I think that might be the end of this podcast. It's a little coming in a little short, but that's all right. You know what? I think next week might be our three year uh, anniversary. Is it? I think so. We started in June. I want to say it was the middle of June. So let's just go ahead and say next week is our three-year anniversary. And um, if you want to submit, we'll do a Q&A. You can submit stories, scary stories, uh, how the podcast has uh, benefited you or been a detriment to you. Um, join our Facebook group. Uh, go to Facebook and type in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Join the group, and I will put a email address uh, where you can email stories if you would rather do that. Um, or I could just give you the email address right now. Hold on. Because <laughs> I have it. I just want to make sure it's right. Uh, it's uumpodcast at yahoo.com. Uum, as an um, uncovering unexplained mysteries. Uumpodcast at yahoo.com. Uh, you can submit any kind of stories or any kind of things you want to tell us there regarding our our anniversary or the podcast or your life. Anything. Just send us anything. And we will read it on our next podcast. And uh, lately, we've had more listeners than we ever have. Uh, last month in May, we had uh, 25,000 listeners or, or downloads or plays or whatever you want to call it for that month which is the highest uh, we've ever had. We we usually hit about 20 or so thousand per month. But uh, so, yeah, that's our plays have been good. So that's cool. 
So if you're new to this podcast, definitely send in something. Join the Facebook group. Uh, we'll do a Q&A on there, and we will answer your questions um, on the next podcast for the three-year anniversary. And it snuck up on me so fast, I don't know if we'll do any special cases or anything, but we can at least do some fan service. Yeah. Um, we have a Patreon account, which is patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. You get the podcast early, um, sometimes much earlier than everyone else. Um, and there's other stuff on there as well. There's back uh, catalogs of, of many, many bonus segments and all kinds of random shit on there. Um, and then we're finally, we're on YouTube uh, separately, but entertainingly equally. You can find Mike at youtube.com slash OCP communications. He's a movie guy. He talks about the movies. Mike, what was the last uh, thing you did on your channel? Uh, last thing I did was actually a DVD and Blu-ray update showing all the goodies that I picked up fairly recently. Um, and uh, before that, I just showed my collection of Fangoria magazines. I already mentioned that last time. I'm trying to record some more reviews of Tales from the Crypt, but I've just been kind of... Uh, it, like, it's the times I think about doing it I run out of energy, and then when I get home, like from doing something during the day, like I'm just like I don't want to do it. So <laughs> I'll get around to, to doing it uh, sometime in the near future. But like, I just I, I just want to stop making guarantees. Like you know, have you done you you don't do that. You're not like oh I'm definitely gonna post this video today. No, no, I <laughs> I, I don't I don't feel like anyone really cares. <laughs> like no, they don't. They really don't like, I, I I mean, people care about the podcast and people, I definitely get people messaging me being like, Hey, where's the podcast? But, um, nobody cares about my YouTube channel. Um, if I don't post a video for months, like no one would say anything. And that's not me. That's not <laughs> me having a pity party. That's just being real. Like that's, I, I just don't have, I don't really have a fan base still. I mean, I have like almost 4,300 subs at this point, and yeah. I just feel like it's... I, I, would, I would definitely get a few people who would be like, what, what's going on? Are you well, okay? yeah, you have, like, triple the subscribers <laughs> that I do, so, I mean... Well, I've also had, like, you know, some some subs that have been, you know, here for, like, a really, you know, long time, so I, I, I think they would probably be like, what's going on? And you you might be surprised. You might have some couple of people. Maybe. I mean, it's, it's cool. I, I get it. You know, I'm just, I'm just still building my shit up. You know, it's like, even though I have 4,300 subscri subscribers, the last video I put out, and you have better plays than some of my content lately. So there's that. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's still so hit and miss though. It's, it's hard to, I'm still trying to lock on to exactly what my niche is. I feel like I've wasted the, I mean, waste is the wrong word. I feel like I have poorly spent the last few years of my YouTube uh, career being that random channel. Well, it's going to be hard now anyway. It's harder to, to break out on YouTube, period. And it's going to be even harder now with uh, the extra restrictions that are putting on things. So. Yeah, but like I feel like if I had just picked like one thing, you know, to talk about like you did with movies, like if I had just talked about music... You know, the whole time I feel like I'd have like a larger fan base and like more subs. And there shit. is a music community, but they review a lot of current stuff. They review a lot of, you know, they have different sort of things. So they're not like just going vintage 
uh, music. Well, th- I um, feel like any anything you stick to that you're passionate about, you will gain like a a fan base. That's how we gained this fan base is yeah. we pretty much only talked about one specific thing. <laughs> my problem with my YouTube channel is I start out going, oh, I I got the perfect solution. I'll do everything to everyone i'll be everything to everyone and that way people can just but then you're everything to no one exactly yeah then that's pretty much what's happened like i've i'm people will find one of my videos that they like and they'll be like cool i really like that video and then they'll look on my channel and see that none of my other videos are really like that one and they're like okay well i just like this video game video he did yeah because you don't, it's it's no clear identity. Yeah, so it's just it's, it's all crisis. over the fucking place. So I'm trying to fix that. I'm trying to just kind of focus on music related stuff for my channel at this point, and just do like opinion pieces on like chunks of like you know controversial topics that come out from time to time. Um, and that's that's what I'm trying to do now because I realize finally that like that's how i get into new youtubers i'll find one video they do on a certain thing and i like it and i click on their channel and i try to find the the next video that is pretty much going to be similar to the one i just saw and then if i see that and i like that too then uh usually i'll check out more of their stuff and if i like that then i'll subscribe and with my channel it's like Okay, I just watched him do a taste testing video of Swedish food. Now he's doing a video about Woodstock, the music festival. And now he's doing a video about Mega Man, a Mega Man video game. Like, what the fuck is this channel? <laughs> like, like, if my channel was the only channel that existed on YouTube, it'd be great because I'd have a lot to offer people. But, you know, you got to be in a specific lane with YouTube, I feel like. I don't know. But I've had, like, successful videos in almost every genre I've tried. It's just you know consistently i can't keep putting them out you know at high views it's just <laughs> spotty I, I guess i don't know i'm rambling right now if you want to check out my youtube channel that i just got done pissing and moaning about it's youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts and um check out my band of the same name we're on spotify itunes google amazon everywhere even of some random site called deezer which i hate the name of that it makes me cringe but uh yeah check it out uh, sounds like a nickname for some uh supposedly cool character in an 80s movie yeah. <laughs> you know the deezer <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he's actually really lame it does sound like that <laughs> yeah he's got like the backwards hat and the sunglasses and the skateboard What's up, guys? My name's Deezer. Anyway, uh, we have we have completely run out of gas on this podcast, folks. Mike has cashed out mentally, and uh, I'm hungry. So until next time, have a good rest of your day and or night, and goodbye. See ya. Yeah, I mean, I I, I feel like I feel like if. Uh, the prime of the series. What I personally did was I just took a break from watching Unsolved Mysteries for a while because I... I, I have too, to be honest. Like, <laughs> I don't want to get burned out on, like, one of my favorite yeah. shows. So I was watching The Simpsons for a while. Uh-huh. Because I really only watched, like, full-length episodes of anything whenever I sit down when to you, eat. When you, get, when you get to, like, what is it, like, season 
the one with Skinner, the whole thing with Principal Skinner, like that's usually when a lot of people say. Oh, I think that's season a lot of fans eight. Say that the show started to decline a bit now, but it it, it it was still better than it is right now. But it was starting to decline in terms of uh, storytelling and writing and stuff like that. Yeah, they they really should have stopped after like the tenth season. That should have been like the final season, and that then then that show would have literally just went down as one of the best shows of all time. But now that yeah. since they've dragged it out so fucking long, it's like they've really sullied the name. That you know, the show's still like an institution on television. But like, it, if The Simpsons had ended after only the you know 10 seasons or whatever i figured out the reason why fox still airs it because it's cheap to make and they own all the rights to it so when you have a show that you're airing on a network and you own all the distribution rights to it you get most of the profit from the airing of that episode it doesn't matter if the ratings are that good it's more about the fact that you own the rights to it, so then whatever ad revenue that comes from that, you get the the, the larger portion of that. Yeah, I I read an article that really opened my mind up to why inferior shows stay on the air versus ones that are actually better that have like more uh, critical acclaim from uh, critics and have a some of them actually have a bigger fan base, but they end up getting can- they end up getting canceled. And crap like Young Sheldon or whatever, you know, gets another season because the network owns the rights to that. Yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, Family Guy signed a different deal because that's why you're seeing them on Adult Swim and, you know, all these other places. And The Simpsons, you only see them on Fox. Yeah, The Simpsons were a Fox was you know was a Fox show from the start. I mean, it's the the little shorts aired on the uh, Tracy Ullman show which is a Fox show. Interestingly enough about the Tracy Ullman show is that was, I think it won some Emmys and like that show is nowhere to be found. Like there's a few episodes on YouTube, but other than that, it's essentially a lost show. That's crazy. Yeah. And that's a show that had like over 40 uh, episodes or if not even more than that and lasted for a, a couple, like two or three seasons and yeah it's just it's just nowhere and it didn't get an official release anywhere and it's just one of those things that's like huh i mean yeah <laughs> there are a lot of shows like that surprisingly see that, you know just that's why I, that's why like i'm a big proponent about like when it comes to like people say oh dvds are so outdated blah, blah, blah. when it comes to tv shows and like concert performances or music video compilations I, I never think that that's a bad purchase. Like anytime you're able to buy like an entire TV series on box set, I never think that's a bad purchase because shit gets- Well, with The Shield, for instance, there was a recent release from Mill Creek and it was cut. It, they used uh, versions from the UK that had scenes that were cut out of them. So it's not even uncut, the recent uh, Blu-ray release of The Shield by Mill Creek Entertainment. Well, uh, HBO aired uh, this show called The Larry Sanders Show, and it was like one mm-hmm. of the most like like impactful kind of sitcoms uh, of the '90s. Like it could have been right up there with Seinfeld had it been on network television, but it was on, it was on HBO, so not everyone was able to watch it. But it was like such a cut above like every other sitcom, 
and literally the only way to watch it is uh, the box set. It's not streaming on anything. And even when shows are streaming, on you have to ne- pay for them. Well, you got to pay for it, and on then Amazon, it, yeah. And they can also take it off at any point. They can they can take the, it off of streaming, and that's just go- you're and- just renting with streaming. You're renting titles for an undetermined amount of time. Yeah, that that can be taken away without any notice. Fuck that. So that's why when people are all like, "Oh, they're gonna take friends off," it's like just just buy the series, like. <laughs> Like movies, uh, movies I understand because the movies for the most part are going to be like available all over the place. And well, there's some that aren't. So uh, there's some that go out of print and are only on DVD. And then if they are streaming, they get taken off every now and then. Oh, Mike, you're going to like hate me so much. Like, um, so after, you know, since my dad passed away last year or whatever like we've been going through all of just the stuff in my mom's house and trying to just clear a bunch of stuff out and i was uh there was this huge tub of dvds there's probably like at least 150 dvds in there well i mean you probably gave them away and i'm not mad at you for that because they were probably a lot of just generic titles well way to kill the fucking story mike (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Jesus Christ, you just cut to the fucking chase on that one. That's exactly just, what happened. Just stabbed <laughs> Just murdered it. Yeah. This is all B-roll, by the way, so don't worry about, you know... Don't worry about us dragging on too long. <laughs> I've already, I decided, like, five minutes ago that this was all gonna be, oh, like, okay. at the end of the podcast. Right. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. No, I... No, really, I... Dude, I totally understand it. Like, it, it's it's the kind of thing. Like, you, you probably gave them to a thrift store yeah. or something like Goodwill, that. Goodwill, yeah, yeah. I just, you know, it's like I could have sold them, but the amount of if the, if if it's generic titles, it's not worth it. No, trust me. it's not. And they pretty much were. They were generic titles. It was like you know, Django Unchained and fucking Die yeah. Hard and shit like yeah. that. Yeah, it's it's not it's not worth it in that instance. Now, if you had like box sets and other stuff like that, and you know horror titles or something, then maybe. But uh, speaking of going back to DVDs of shows, like for instance, I picked up uh, Street Hawk as a complete series a while back, and like that's already out of print. So there there's stuff like that where you get it when you get it, and you it's good that you do because then it can go out of print and then be crazy expensive <laughs> if you want to get it later. Yeah. It's like what happened with the Unsolved Mysteries box set for you. Yeah. Like, you're not getting, not getting that for cheap now. No. Yeah. That's like a fucking, <laughs> if I ever, if I ever need that, that's like a gold basically. Like if I ever need like cash or something quick, I mean, I'll, I'll honestly probably never, uh, yeah, and it so, probably won't sell for as much as as, as it might have before Amazon, but you know there, there will still be buyers. But I don't think you're going to get like people paying four hundred, five hundred dollars anymore. That's just not. That's fine with me. I don't want to sell it anyway. <laughs> All right, it's your little treasure chest. All right, we'll cut back into this now. Um, 